This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your host, Avi. And we're back. We're talking about Nope, the uh, latest movie from Jordan Peele, which is funny. This movie came out like the last week of July, and we're barely going to talk about it like now towards the end of August. Do you want to feel dumber? It actually came out three days after my birthday. So it's been out for almost a month. Yeah, it's been out. It's been out for nearly a full month at this point, but obviously because of the number of hiatuses that we've had to take, it's the reason why it's taking us so long to get to to get to the movie we're talking about this week. And the reason why we've taken hiatuses is it's important for y'all to know there's creative differences. Angel punches me on a regular basis. It's absolutely nothing to do with podcast stuff and completely to do with like scheduling conflicts that we've had outside of the podcast. You literally threatened to punch me right before. Your exact words were, I'll put you into night mode. (laughs) I'm sorry, I thought that was a good line. I just wanted to bring it up the podcast. (laughs) And all right, so here we are talking Jordan Peele again. And, um, you know, it's been... The last time we talked Jordan Peele on this show, we talked about him as a producer for that Candyman reboot that came out last season, last year that we we were both kind of high on. And um, but this is officially the first movie that he's directed since 2019's Us. Yeah, he's taken a while. It's been, what, about three years, I guess, this movie was in. Well, I don't know how long this movie was development for, but three years before he was. Uh, he put out another banger and, um, you yeah, know, very interesting um, to kind of come back to uh, sci-fi. I think you and I were talking about in like a group chat where it's one of those things where all sci-fi horror, specifically sci-fi, let's go with the sci-fi genre. Everything is a sequel at the moment or everything is comic book related or it's reboots. So I was just excited to finally get an original sci-fi like story, an original sci-fi movie. Like the last movie I felt kind of captured that wasn't trying to be a reboot, like an original. And I'm sure there are going to be people that won't agree with me and will correct me and, you know, totally fair. But what, since signs, maybe? <laughs> like it was one of those things that was just really exciting. Extraterrestrial horror, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, like it, 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 like we needed a movie like this. At least you and me did, because we're fans of this type of stuff. Right. So it was cool to finally see uh, something fresh, something original, something new. And Jordan Peele's like one of those few guys that can make those kinds of movies now. Like I feel like he kind of joins his club with maybe Christopher Nolan and only like one or two other guys of like people who can make like original concept, like big budget movies. And I I think not only is the Chris Nolan comparison 
appropriate specifically for the fact that you know it's another director that's making very popular like summer entertainment but at the same time making it in such a cerebral way but he's actually the 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 cinematographer in this movie is the guy who's done interstellar i think dunkirk and um Mm. And tenant, so he that is specifically working with someone who uh, has worked with Chris Nolan, and specifically has worked on these kind of big budget, large scope IMAX like productions that he's worked on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's. Uh, I guess I'll talk. I'll go into my experience. Uh, went with a group of friends to go watch this movie. Uh, it was fun because it was the first group outing um back to the movie theaters with this group specifically Mm -hmm. so it was like oh crap like life is back to normal and it's like i mean no it's not (laughs) but it was cool just kind of being out um being out and getting in the movie um getting uh getting that whole like full audience like there was a pretty good amount of people in the movie theater there to watch it um and it was just funny to see people like, I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to think I'm broken as a human because while well, there are horror elements in the movie in this, I was really like me and maybe a few other people were kind of laughing during the uh, the horror elements and other people were genuine, like genuinely grossed out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely, again, like uh, I feel like it's a genre bending like, thing that he does and this one particularly it's the one that's the least horror of the movies that he's done there are as you said horror elements in it but it it specifically there's a movie that comes to mind when i when i watch it that that is very very similar and uh, he pretty much called it out when this movie was in production and that's that it's like his version of jaws and if you mm-hmm. ever watch the 1975 Steven Spielberg movie, it is essentially the original blockbuster. And um, if you ever watch Jaws, it feels like the first third or first half of that movie almost is completely a horror film about like, you know, the shark attacking the people near Amity Island. Mm-hmm. And then the second half of the movie revolves around a trio of characters that are basically trying to chase after this monster. Yeah, I, I say that's the thing. I feel like of all his movies, I feel like this is the one that has the most horror elements to it. So it's horror, interesting. You maybe, you but that. but I, I think it's the less, it's the least overt horror to me, and it and it it feels more again. It feels like Jaws, but then it also feels. I think what we've talked about as well is it feels like Twilight Zone. All of his stuff kind well, of feels like feel Twilight, like Twilight Zone. Zone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what was your experience with it? I watched this movie with my wife uh, the day it came out and am very glad that I watched it that long ago. And I'm very glad that I've had so much time to sit and marinate on this movie because initially when I first watched it, I don't know that I really understood how I how to feel about it or how I felt about this movie. Mm -hmm. And now that I've kind of been sitting with it for, you know, nearly a month, I feel like I have a good um, basically. I think that this movie is maybe my favorite of his three films so far. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. So um, if you want, we can go ahead and get, get into the story of this. Uh, the movie opens up with a flashback 
where we're actually going back into 1998 and we're like on the set of a sitcom Mm -hmm. you know a fake 90s sitcom called gordy's home and it's kind of like we're literally just sitting in you know uh in in the audience watching the taping of this episode and it's like a we're seeing like the accident which is a, a a chimpanzee attacked you know people on the set of this and you're hearing like sounds that end up being like <laughs> it end up being like uh like him like pounding someone's head in or something like that you know <laughs> like this movie is very violent and and this stuff is very violent and i know there's a lot of people that that think of it as kind of a you know why would you do that decision to, of him to include this subplot in this but as we get in further into this movie i really do think it's a fantastic subplot i um, 100% agree this subplot kind of really it really hammers home the main theme, especially in the last like third of the film. And it's one of those things. This is one of those parts I was talking about that made people feel uncomfortable because it's like, oh, you know, something horrible is like happening. And it's like, it, you know, because there's this whole thing where it's like people train animals to be on set and you know it happened with Siegfried and Roy sometimes there's certain animals you're not supposed to train to try to be on set because they're unpredictable Mm -hmm. and the whole time I'm just like why the fuck would you make a chimp show like chimps are notorious being for being murder machines <laughs> well the other thing too is it's just like it's it's kind of like the reality of the innocuous like animal that you don't think of as being inherently like dangerous that can also kill you like i think i, I listened to either a podcast or watched some sort of review on this where where they kind of like made allusions to hey like you know not just Siegfried and Roy which they do in this movie and for those who don't know who Siegfried and Roy are because this was like kind of the 90s they were like these really famous like Vegas like you know tiger trainers right yeah yeah. magician performance art you know tiger taming act and of course like you know one of them gets attacked by (laughs) by a tiger at some point and and i think the other thing too is that that i was listening to again either on a podcast or or watching in a video and i can't credit it because i don't remember it right now but they were talking about how like you know even something like the crocodile hunter right like he Mm -hmm. went around all these dangerous parts of the world around all these dangerous animals and yet like you know he happens to be killed by like a stingray like in a really unexpected shot and it's kind of like a reminder of just the fact that you know even though we like to kind of like anthropomorphize like these these animals like whether it be in animation or 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 on film it's like these things are still wild animals and they can get defensive and hurt us and or kill us at a moment's notice it, it, just because you mentioned it, it was funny. I share. I remember I shared a meme about uh, about um, Steve Irwin still having love from the streets out here, and it's like a dude punching a stingray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I remember someone got really mad at me and was like, "The animal didn't know what it was doing." And I'm like, "Okay, first of all, all right, it's a joke. Down. Settle down. Like <laughs> that's the point. It's yeah. like con- like ah." Uh, See, can't make any jokes because everyone wants to cancel you now. Yeah, this is my <laughs> arc now. This is the character I choose to be now. 
Uh, the other thing is that this movie is specifically about spectacle. Like this is Jordan Peele's like spectacle film. And not only is it something that he was saying like during the making of this film or while promoting this film, but specifically the movie starts off with a Bible quote uh, from the book of Nam that's that uh, says, I will cast abominable filth on upon you make you vile and make you a spectacle <laughs> which is like it doesn't get more old testament than that right no <laughs> and, aside and, from the strike you down into a pillar of salt bullshit yeah that's yeah. pretty gross when you think about it and while while we're looking at that quote we're like in this bizarre like box ribbon like thing that we have no idea what it is right like it, it feels like it, to me, it felt like it was, I was in the inside of a camera, like during the credits, and I really didn't understand what it was I was looking at. And it's interesting enough that I just like I just was so confused by it. Like it's it's such a bizarre like movie like so far because a mm. it starts off with this like monkey thing, and that's pretty frightening. And I'll tell you this: so while we're gonna have this conversation on it, I can tell you what I thought this movie was gonna be about coming into it. So I came into this movie thinking this movie again was going to be about aliens uh, that were going to come from a flying saucer, very 1950s. Like, you know, I had seen the flying saucer in the second trailer of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that little part of the trailer where, you know, so you saw the little alien guy coming around the corner, which yeah. is such a fucking frightening shot from that trailer. Mm-hmm. And I could not wait to get there because it reminded me so much of like the first third of Close Encounters of a Third Kind, mm-hmm. which is so fucking terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. And um, not as terrifying as E.T., but still terrifying. Yeah, it's a similar. And um, so, so like, you know, I, I thought it was going to be something like that. And I thought, you know, when as the movie was starting and before anything else unfolded in front of me, I think it's pretty obvious that you think that like the monkey attacking people on the set is because he was controlled by aliens, right? A hundred percent. I yeah. thought this was going to be that. And I thought the horses were going to be a, like this thing where they're being controlled by the aliens and that's kind of how daniel kuya starts figuring something out that something ain't right on the ranch mm-hmm. um and so i honestly didn't know where this was gonna go but i 100 was in the same boat i'm like oh we're gonna make monkeys start punching everyone i'm cool with <laughs> no and you know what else like i seriously thought that like there was gonna be like one quick scene where we saw aliens i thought we were barely gonna see them in this movie and i thought the bulk of this movie might be something like s- akin to like um a twilight zone episode called the monsters are due on maple street which mm-hmm. is like it- it's one of these uh, twilight zone episodes and i think i've mentioned it in a podcast before but in case i haven't it's like um and spoiler alert from anyone who hasn't watched that episode of the Twilight Zone, but essentially it takes place like in a neighborhood in the 1950s, uh, a white suburban neighborhood, and like all the power goes out, but then all of a sudden like one house will get power for like just a moment, one house will have a car that runs while none of the other cars in the neighborhood run, and it's one of those things where it's like enough weird stuff is happening that it's causing all the people to become suspicious of one another. And one of the kids in the neighborhood is like reading a comic books about reading a comic book about aliens. And he's the one that posits like the idea that they're all being controlled by aliens. And that one of the neighbors in, in, in the neighborhood is an alien 
and it's caused it causes basically everyone to turn on each other and uh, the twist in that movie obviously in that episode is that there are aliens that exist but the aliens never make contact with the humans uh, or barely make contact with them at all all they really do is they mess with people in these neighborhoods and they turn they make them turn against each other they just they just fuck with shit just see what happens (laughs) yeah so i I thought it was gonna be something similar to that like we were barely get we were just the aliens for just a moment it wasn't gonna be like straight signs where you were gonna have like a dramatic like ending of the movie like revolving around one of these like gray pale aliens (laughs) swing away bo swing away or whatever the what's his name's wife told her to say (laughs) or said to joaquin phoenix but okay so so we get as we get into this movie we're introduced to our character of uh oj who Mm -hmm. is jr yes and it's so it's so funny like to see i have to bring this up but it's so funny to see like the reaction in the theater and in the movie to like people like hearing the word OJ because it's like they <laughs> what they think of when they hear OJ whereas like a a lot of younger people don't really like who weren't around the 90s like OJ Simpson doesn't really like you know it doesn't mean what it meant in the 90s where it was just like this massive like literally, scandal story that everyone was watching literally um, everyone now just has the point of reference of hey twitter world and they think <laughs> that OJ or Simpson... like us we actually had a friend of ours who has now departed who, who whose nickname was oj mm-hmm. so like i it's 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 just like real it made me giggle a little bit to hear people be so weirded out by the name oj in the theater but what else but <laughs> well, of whatever. course the people that were weirded out you know who they were <laughs> yeah so anyway um we oj is a horse trainer and uh he and his father were both horse trainers and his father um, played by keith david f yeah yes the wonderful keith david and essentially what happens with them is one day they're on their ranch you know training a horse and all of a sudden you hear like you know some like a noise and you turn around and you see keith david just like fall off of his horse uh and drop dead (laughs) and essentially Mm -hmm. there is a like object that fell from the sky that killed him which was a coin and it just like made me think of that you know like that urban myth about you know if you drop a coin off an empire off the empire state building that it will like bust through your head and like fly down your entire body because of it (laughs) i mean it still can it just won't ever reach that yeah but like no i get it especially like it's like a weird shrapnel storm just like a bunch of metal stuff mm-hmm. um and i think even the horse gets hit right at one point like yes the horse gets uh hurt by i think what looks like a house key yeah because like daniel has to like well oj sorry i should really get better about using character names <laughs> but like oj pulls the key out of like the horse's thigh and then he sees his dad fall over otis otis senior <sighs> And that um, kind of that snap smash cuts to that scene of him trying to get him to the hospital like ASAP with all the blood everywhere. Like, oh god! The, the by the way, the effects looking around like Keith David's face, like being all messed up from the key, or I mean from the key from the coin, 
because it like goes into his eyeball and yeah. it like gets lodged into his head. I'm just like, that's it's so it's good. graphic. Yeah, it's absolutely graphic. And um, while that's you know, I guess like months later is when OJ's on the set of this uh, commercial which he's shooting, and he seems very uncomfortable with the people around him. Like he doesn't really seem like he wants to you know like or like he'll 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 mention something to the other like you know uh crew on the set and no one really listens to him like it feels like mm-hmm. he'll explain to them like what the safety like oh you know well yeah, yeah they might not want to like want this or they might not want that and then it feels like everyone just kind of like says they hear it and yet they ignore everything that he says anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's like waiting for his sister to show up to kind of like really be the vocal member of their team and that's uh emerald who's played by uh kiki palmer who i think is really great in this uh in this she movie. was fantastic and it was like she just she played off uh daniel kuya really well it was one of those things where like she was a perfect foil for him because especially in the this early part of the film where you can tell he's very uncomfortable doesn't want to be there doesn't want to project his voice doesn't want to really establish authority as like the horse trainer um you know she shows up and she comes in with the razzle dazzle gives the whole experience like the whole history on uh haywood ranch uh, telling them how they were, you know, telling the set how they were the first, um, yeah, they were like the first major like motion picture like horse training company, and that uh, there was, I believe it was their grandfather was uh, great 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 grandfather. Yeah, their great great grandfather um, was the first uh, person captured on film riding a horse. Um, and also it being very important because it does tie in later um, how it was he was like the first black not not just like the first person not just the first black man but the first person caught on film that's what i was trying to say right and the funny thing is like it could be true or it may not be true too because there is a scene like later on where where you kind of hear like you you see oj's flashback to like his father kind of giving that whole monologue himself Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh so it's you know it may be true it may not be true they do bring back the iconography of this image um in that like again during the credits you get like that rectangular shape that like that you're zooming into as you end up on this set and then at the same time like later in the movie you'll see like oj riding a horse and it's like it feels like a visual callback to this as well Mm -hmm. um so you know they're on the set and of course nobody heeds the directions of you know the haywood uh siblings and of course so the horse ends up kicking someone on the set of the of the commercial and they end up like getting fired off the set and Mm -hmm. uh and they even like make a joke about how like you know oh they're just gonna replace them with cgi and they're bringing in like those sticks with tennis balls on it so um (laughs) It, it it tells you right away that these that these folks have been like struggling i mean it, it's already kind of like a dying like art what they're mm-hmm. doing and then once you know oda senior's gone that's when it feels like it, you know it's up to oj to try to keep 
not just the, you know, the memory of his father alive or the legacy of his father alive, but he also literally just has to try to keep the business going as much as possible. And um, it really is relatable in that, Mm -hmm. like, again, it's like, it's, it's a thing with siblings, right? Especially with adult siblings, when you unfortunately do have to start going through kind of like this serious life stuff and, and working through things together that it's, it's, you almost always get like one sibling who's kind of like the quote unquote responsible sibling who ends up either having to look out for their parents or kind of like taking up for of all the stuff that they need. And then you have the other sibling who's kind of like, on the outside a little bit looking in and even though they try to help it it's it's this weird dichotomy and like kind of push and pull that you end up with so you get the impression that obviously you know that they care about each other but it seems like m has been kind of like in and out and mostly out because she also you know she she has her own stuff going on and her own ideas for kind of fame as well yeah like she's trying to make her own career like and she plugs herself like it's i remember there's that scene uh on the studio where she like plugs herself and kind of her own side projects mm-hmm. and she gets super pissed about it <laughs> like what the fuck are you doing we're here for the horses you can plug your shit on uh on your own time um so it's yeah it, i think i do think i do find it very interesting that they do play on that dichotomy in this film um this is true like and there's always that view like it's always written wherever whenever there's the sibling that kind of goes off on their own to do their own thing it's always kind of looked down upon because you know the whole idea is that your family and you're supposed to take care of family and you're supposed to and you're putting your dreams over family is kind of like frowned upon uh so what i do appreciate in this movie is it doesn't feel like M is very villainized for it, or she vilified, I mean, uh, because of that. Um, you know, and she like really does stick up for herself whenever OJ does try to call her out for that. So I I appreciate that seeing that kind of play out as well. Um, and yeah, it's it's really hard because you can tell this guy doesn't have too much experience. He doesn't really have the people experience to try to keep this this ranch afloat you can tell i mean he very much has like the actual animal handling experience he can do that no problem mm-hmm. um but you see that he start you know as he kind of struggles to to find reliable work for himself and the horses he's actually got to start selling off uh some of these horses to try to keep the ranch afloat with the intention of buying them back once he starts making money and turns it around um and actually, funny enough, one of the people we see he sells one of the horses to is um, the, at, well, someone that's revealed to be one of the actors from Gordy's Home, but uh, Stephen Ewing's character uh, by the name of, I believe they call him Jupe in this movie? Yeah, his name is Ricky Park, but his mm-hmm. nickname is Jupe, and that's short for Jupiter. Mm-hmm. Um, I okay. Second thing, when I saw this guy in the trailer, I thought this guy was only going to be in one scene, and I had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea. And he just Stephen Yoon was in a fantastic episode of that Twilight Zone 2019 reboot series as well. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and he he is a character in that who's kind of a hat wearing, like mystical, could be supernatural character. So mm-hmm. him like coming back into this like 
coming into this movie and wearing what he was wearing in the trailer, like I had the feeling that he was probably going to be one of those set everything into motion guy and then like would quickly disappear from the film. Mm -hmm. So I was very surprised when I saw just how deep we were going to get into Jupe's backstory and um, and how central to the plot his backstory really is. Right. And it's just like, and, and I just appreciate the fact that his side plot, you know, is, is, is so not like it's, it's so separated from what the rest of this movie is going to be about, but yet at the same time, like it informs so much of who this character is when you see him again. Mm-hmm. and it's like it's a guy who's clearly like hiding he has a ton of repressed trauma in his life where it's like all he's really happy about is like you know like he he hey he makes money off of off of the things that have happened to him you know oh he is 100 um, percent monetized his trauma this is like this is this is like bordering on someone surviving like like i don't want to say it's that dark but it's like when you read about george zimmerman like selling tickets for people to go see the gun he used you know <laughs> like yeah Let, like, let's a little maybe a little less grim and a little less horrifying but there are lots of like cases where people will yeah they, they they'll experience something and later years later they'll come back and do like 60 minute interviews or something like that and and you know obviously come back and use those things as a part of their lives so yeah because pretty much here we find out the things that we criticize the real life uh ed lorraine warren for doing (laughs) which is monetizing other people's trauma (laughs) i know i mean don't get me wrong like ricky park went through some trauma too Yes, um, he's but, directly involved in this. So you, you look at him as less of a profiteer off of other people's misery. You know, it is something that he went through and, and it does a good job of making it sympathetic, even though you, like, you do feel sorry for him, especially when he says, oh, yeah, you want to see all this stuff? This stuff is great. You know, this is from this. And then he's talking about like like this bizarre like SNL sketch where Chris Kattan like plays the monkey gordy and like it is a reference to a snl like kind of sketch that existed around that time that Mm -hmm. it did have like elements of it and and it did remind me of that but it's just so yeah it's so weird to see how excited and happy he is about this when at the same time you know on the inside that there's stuff about it that makes him bizarrely uncomfortable about it and he even brags about like people who have like spent thousands of dollars to just spend the night in his trophy room (laughs) Like, it's like he wants people to ask him about it. Like, he likes the taboo of it. Yes. He likes people feeling uncomfortable asking about it, but still talking about it. Right, because and OJ is 1,000% not interested in getting further into this. He just wants to sell him the horses and get the hell off that property as quickly as possible. Yeah, Whereas you Emma, can tell he's skeeved out. It's more like, he's like, if I'm already selling this guy my horses, I don't want to be here any longer right. than I need to. And Emerald is the one that's really kind of like, asking questions like maybe just like you know trying to 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 like asking questions about him and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden it's like that's where we show this and i think the other thing is too i don't know like i feel like they do kind of know each other like they're neighbors that have known each other for a bit Mm -hmm. but they don't really really know each other yeah uh, yeah, they're they're familiar they're familiar enough with each other yeah Mm -hmm. now here is really something really interesting because there is some symbolism 
that that gets like that gets shown a couple times here that I'm still trying to like decipher. But I remember so in the opening of the movie, the opening flashback, um, you hear the pounding and you know Gordy's like we don't know if he's killing this person, but we know he's beating somebody damn near death. And you see that there's blood kind of on other people. You see that there's blood on it is all over the place, right? But at one point during one of these flashbacks, child Ricky is like laying down and trying to hide under the, (laughs) the, the table, right? And he There is a shot, and I've been trying to find it, where the shoe of either, I don't know if it's the sister, the actress that plays the sister, or the actress that plays the mom, is standing on its end, like like the toe. Like, it's standing on Mm -hmm. its toe, and he focuses on it, and he, like, hyper-focuses on it. Yes. And then it's shown again in the same, and then it's shown again in the same position when we go into the museum area. And I thought that was really interesting because after that, he like starts developing this idea that he was like almost chosen, like he Mm -hmm. was blessed or he was lucky to not be attacked by Gordy. Yep. Uh, Because as the, the, as the um, flashbacks progress, that's when you like, when Gordy kind of calms down, he even signs to Ricky what, family like what happened to the family mm-hmm. um and that's when the cops show up and kill gordy and i thought it was really interesting that the shoe was kind of like the main symbol of that for him <laughs> i guess right. like his ability to kind of overcome this horrible event that took place right and part of it is that like I, I, he he noticed like so this is what happens with jube jube understands at some point during that attack that the only reason why Gordy isn't attacking him is because he isn't looking at him straight on. So that's part of the reason why he focuses on the shoe. And the more he focuses on the shoe, the less he gets into it with Gordy. Cause that's the thing. It's like a lot of what this movie talks about is like predators and Uh how you're kind of challenging them with your stare sometimes. So, and, and that's the thing. It's like, it's like Juke Ju completely looks like A, he looks away because it's horrifying, mm-hmm. but B, he's also at some point realizes that, that by looking away, he's not being attacked by Gordy. And, um, and, and that's why the instead... shoe becomes so important. Right. I was not able to put that together. Oh, that is, that is dope. That's now that makes sense. Why the, why, because the shoe is standing like on its, mm-hmm. You know, and it's super weird because it stood out. It is bizarre, and 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 they never. And I don't know if there's any like, you know, explanation as to why it is like set the way it is. But mm-hmm. I did know, I did notice for sure, especially after I spent some time thinking about it, that mm-hmm. obviously he was focusing on it instead of focusing on uh, Gordy's gaze. Which you know, hey, it is is one of those things that's going to continuously come up. Which is, mm-hmm. uh, if you're not looking at the predator and challenging it, then uh, you may be spared. <laughs> but yeah. all right, so so we can go ahead and and kind of move forward as well while we're at Jupiter's claim, which is what this ranch like amusement park is called. Like it's it's one of those like 
I've been like near Carson City, like in Nevada before. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's one of those areas that's replete with these kinds of like tourist stops. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> where it's like, you know, it looks like the old West. They have these like, you know, quarter machines that you stick stuff into and like you can pr- play the shotgun games and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, this is what it used to be like in 19 diggity two. Right. And yes. you're almost wondering as to why you're spending so much time focusing on this and the juke. And, and one thing that I, that, that was stuck in my head that I never got out of my head, which obviously was the point later on in the movie, as I discovered mm-hmm. is there's a moment where, uh, right as M is coming into Jupiter's claim, she looks down a well that a bunch of people are looking into And next thing you know, you see a flash and you find out that the well is basically like an upwards facing uh, photography camera Mm -hmm. that (laughs) it takes pictures of you and like prints out like what looks like a giant Polaroid. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Which for those who, you know, for, for our younger listeners, we used to have Polaroid cameras, which you would take pictures of and it would instantly print the picture for you and you would just kind of like shake it. And as you would shake it, the film would develop and show you what you took a picture of. You boomer. They know what Polaroids <laughs> are. They're called Instax now. <laughs> All right. It's like the, it was like the weird, my, my friend has one. That's the only reason I know about it. And I'm just like, stop it. <laughs> We're not youths anymore. <laughs> But yeah, so after um, after they get kind of like the 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 creepy um, yeah the creepy tour of the uh, chimpanzee murder room, <laughs> and, and the chimp whole, murder dungeon. That's the only thing I can refer to it as yeah. the chimp murder dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> so after they get the uh, kind of creepy tour there. Um, M and OJ don't really know what to do, so they just head back to their ranch. And after some discussion, they figure they might as well get drunk. <laughs> yes. And, and another point- another thing. Here we are. Read another part of what I thought I was looking in the trailer, and what I discovered I'm actually looking at, mm-hmm. and that is me thinking that. Um, that again, it like I thought that this scene in the trailer where Daniel Kaluuya is looking off into the distance and all of a sudden these lights, these floodlights turn on. I thought they were floodlights from a flying saucer. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that as he's looking into space, it's floodlights from Jupiter's claim. Mm-hmm. And Jupe is basically rehearsing something. And that's like one of those things where like the lights all of a sudden come on. And, um, you know, that's where he's kind of looking into the sky now. And we're finally seeing, you know, this uh, flying saucer that we're about to see. Uh, It's Again, I think it's really awesome that they went ahead and put the flying saucer in the trailers. Like, Mm -hmm. again, it feels retro. It feels 1950s. It feels Twilight Zone. It's very Jaws-esque where you see just enough of the the thing you're supposed to be scared of. You're, you're just enough to something move it. through the clouds. Yeah. The same way. It, I didn't think that something could give me thalassophobia in the sky before. Mm-hmm. And that is essentially what I'm getting when I'm watching this. Especially because when you're seeing giant, like dark shadows in the clouds that are flying back and forth. 
we're not safe anywhere. We get to last phobia in the ocean. We get to last phobia in the sky. <laughs> well, and the thing about this that makes it like Jaws, but also more frightening than Jaws, is if you don't live near Amity Island, then Jaws is not going to get you. Whereas if you're out here in the middle of nowhere, like in this dirt, like, you know, in the, or dry grass farm, like this thing is up in the sky and it can come at any moment and just completely just you know well abduct you is what i thought at this point well they've established too that that the that the uh haywood ranch is far enough away from civilization mm-hmm. that like emma isn't even going back to la till the next morning like it's one of those things that even if they wanted to go somewhere for help they're not anywhere near right. somewhere to get so it's like it plays on this fear of isolation it plays on this fear of being like facing something way bigger than you that you're literally at the mercy of something that's just there's big. something very night of the living dead about it which is so? like yeah it, well in that it's a it's just a gr- small group of people and it's a small like farmland area where all of this will take place like it's essentially the hayward's ranch and jupes ranch yeah. like those are the two places and it, i don't know i did get this vibe of like uh, of night of the living dead at the same time because it was this really beautiful house that's right in the middle of nowhere or even close encounters as well i got it's funny and not to be contrarian like i got tremors vibes but mostly mm-hmm. because you're like a wasteland area and you can you're not even safe during the day <laughs> much yeah. like in tremors <laughs> and there's no pat marita to help you here all right but um, so once yeah it's like during this part mm-hmm. no go ahead sorry no oh no, i was just gonna say like here is where we start kind of getting the high strangeness this is where like the ufo stuff starts kind of yes playing in. yeah which i love they kind of figure out that something has been around spooking their horses and what they're thinking is possibly abducting their horses as well and um you know, again, like OJ figures out that 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 it's some sort of unidentified flying object. And then he as he and M kind of talk through it, they decide at some point that they should try to get footage of it to mm-hmm. try to get what they call the Oprah shot, you know, which it seems a little <laughs> retro right now, too. But it's essentially like going viral, right? Like yeah. getting a piece of footage that is so undeniable that it proves like you know that's proof of 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 this ufo and also just like that that could maybe give them fame and fortune as well so i i I don't know when this movie takes place because it it feels like it's modern but yet at the same time oj is using a flip phone and they're actually going to fry's electronics so you're which no longer exists yeah, you're left to assume, and I mean, but the thing is, TMZ also exists during this time. Right. So I don't know if it's kind of like, kind of like your favorite movie, It Follows, where it's kind of meant to be timeless, mm-hmm. where it's like they have some stuff in the future. Like, the yeah, the te- the dude from TMZ just riding an electric bike, like, at one point. It so, feels futuristic. Yeah, it feels and then- <laughs> Like, it feels weird where it's, like, you don't really know if this is supposed to be, like, 2004 or 2000, like, 44. Like, it can be then And then it's, like, it's very futuristic in that, and then it's also very retro, 
in the fact that they're going to a Fry's Electronics store to get security cameras. And that's where we meet my favorite character of this movie. All right. This is, (laughs) if you ever want to talk about feeling represented on film, this is me feeling completely represented on film. And that's the fact that they go to Fry's, they, they meet a tech guy and their tech guy's name is Angel. How does it feel? This is the most <laughs> seen you have ever been by Hollywood. I hey, I am a archetype in a movie now. <laughs> this is fantastic. I literally to 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 write down to the fact that we share the same first name. The I thought dirty Latino great. tech guy. <laughs> that's, yes, that's gonna be a new archetype. <laughs> <laughs> the world is your oyster. I think it's just really funny. He's a really funny character. And from the moment that they all kind of like meet, you know, so Angel Torres is his name, is the character's name. And they're essentially talking about how they want like, you know, security cameras to catch something. And while they're talking to each other, they're also talking at the same time with Angel. And like, he's like, all right, well, you know, hey, like it almost feels like they're really trying to rush through it and they don't really want to get him like involved at all because it's kind of a secret project for them. Yeah, if they don't need to tell anyone else, they don't want to. And it's funny because you can tell Angel wants to be their very un he he is their very willing sidekick and they don't want <laughs> one at all. Right. Well, part of it for him too is like, well, I gotta go and install it because you're probably gonna need this and you really don't need that. And I it took me back to I didn't work at Fry's, but I did work at Best Buy at Geek Squad for a while before I started working in corporate IT. Like I really did work so, uh, on the Again, I really worked in these kind of like, you know, uh, giant like box tech stores. So it does remind me of, of those days when I used to like walk people through how to use their basic equipment that they would buy in the store. Or and they that's... would give you terabytes of just filthy porn on your laptop and wonder why. It, they yeah, you know what, buddy? Hey, hey. When I worked at Geek Squad, people would bring in their computers and they would have porn on their computers. Al Qaeda's reading my emails. I need you to make it stop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I saw things I wish I didn't see on people's computers when I worked on them. So what about I'll say emails? that. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> But all right, so so basically, you know, Angel picks up really quickly that they're going to need help, uh, you know, setting up these cameras in their home. So he will show up in <laughs> in his van to do it. And obviously, it seems like it's some time outside of L.A. like to get there. Right. Like it's some sort of distance out of L.A. Mm-hmm. And um and he mentions that all right well i'm gonna be here i can do this you know i got time to do this at the same time like it's just this like thing that makes me laugh too where like he's upset that he just broke up with his girlfriend because he got a pilot on the cw and i'm just like (laughs) so it's so weird but it's it's so funny he's such a lovable loser character he's just and he's just looking for people to trauma dump on and everyone's just like we don't give a shit no seriously he feels like you know what he feels like he feels like a a type of character that like dave franco would play in a movie like (laughs) it's the vibe that i got off of him (laughs) watching this oh no don't say it now someone's gonna try to make this movie with dave franco as angel (laughs) no (laughs) but um i do i i know um he comes in he installs right and i think that Mm kind of takes him into that second night 
Mm-hmm. Um, is that the night you're talking about with the uh, w- with the little with the little gray men, dude? Yes, <laughs> dude. The okay. shit out of me. I'm not gonna it, lie. It is the most frightening stuff in the movie because it is so in your I again I thought that what this was is the end of the movie like I didn't think we were going to see the little guys until the end of the movie I thought it was going to be like a very quick scene and we were going to see them at a distance and it really again I thought it was going to be something where like we really wouldn't get anything we wouldn't get the Oprah shot mm-hmm. <laughs> for, of these like little aliens but it's the second night it's I mean it's the first night with the with the cameras uh after they've been installed and they're watching through the cameras trying to see if they can catch this flying object and obviously it always causes electromagnetic disruptions and everything like that's electric shuts down around it um mm. angels when like, it's around like angels like at fries looking through their feed hello without their permission <laughs> which you know it's it's again it 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 adds to the we don't know what time this is because it's like, could you really do the guy who set up your camera at a like convenient, like, you know, at, a, at an electronic store probably doesn't have this kind of access to be able to look at it unless they know like, you know, what the IP address is of your network and, and, mm-hmm. and how to get in it remotely. It's, it's, it's something you can do now pretty, pretty easily, but it's not something that I, picture just anybody could do a few years ago so it's dickhead from fries that's for sure (laughs) yeah plus the other thing too is like it's the middle of the night so or like really late evening why would he still be at fries but yeah beyond that (laughs) um but you know hey you know it does remind me of when i worked at geek squad i'd be in the in the store like an hour hour and a half after the store closed and i'd literally just be sitting in the office by myself like because I, the only one of us would be on staff at the end of the night. So mm-hmm. it's possible. Who knows? But anyway, he see, he notices that uh, one of the cameras is down and tries to go spy on them, as you said. Um, and then also the camera that should be catching this flying object is being blocked by a freaking praying mantis. And I love it plays on an old Simpsons gag of anytime there's a zoomed in animal or a zoomed in like bug, people assume it's the alien. Yeah, <laughs> and all I was waiting for him was to be like, "I welcome our insect overlord." <laughs> and um, yeah, as we go, as he goes into the uh, into the barn, like to look for for you know, OJ, he, right? Yeah, OJ ends up in the barn, and I get because one of the camera like consoles is in there, mm-hmm. and that's where we see the little the little alien guys and um at some point we did see like little alien well later we'll see uh like what these little alien guys as like stuffed animals at jupiter's claim mm-hmm. and um it's just yeah they have like owl heads it like looks and it's from a distance and it's so creepy okay the creepiest part in et to me was elliot like laying on a blanket in his backyard and et like waddling to him in the dark mm-hmm. like clumsily waddling to him in the dark and that's what this reminded me of the scene where you're looking at the little guy that's like staring you straight on and then all of a sudden he like stands up tall Mm -hmm. and then starts moving in like this awkward like just these awkward mannerisms like it's like a combination of like et and a sleep paralysis demon or something like (laughs) 
Oh, cool. That's what I needed in my mind as I fall asleep tonight. Is ET is my sleep paralysis? <laughs> and it's it's really it is really creepy. I um, love that at this point in the movie is where. Like he tries to put something up and he hears the noise, turns around, sees like one of the aliens go around the corner, and he's like, Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone in the movie theater lost it at that part when he just like <laughs> walks away. Yeah, the title of the movie is said multiple times by OJ, which yeah. I love that he does that because absolutely, like when you have you ever been in these like moments where you're alone and something weird happens, and instead of like, you know, we're not the type to investigate what things are happening. The first Dude, thing you will say is nope and completely mind your own business. That happened to me a couple nights ago. Oh shit. Where a light in the house. Uh-huh. Clearly, that no one could have turned off, turned off by itself. Okay. And as I was like, I walked out of my room, the light. So you know, I live on a two-story house, yes. and there's two light switches: one at the top of the uh, the stairs, one at the bottom of the stairs. Everyone's already upstairs. I get out of my room, the light turns off, and you know, on the landing. So all of uh, like, no one could have possibly turned it off. I and I'm like I could go downstairs and check or I can go into the bathroom like I originally wanted to do my business and pretend mm-hmm. I saw nothing. Yes. And I'll tell you the most heroic thing to do is to turn around and pretend you saw nothing. <laughs> <laughs> or like the or like the thing where like the creepy room in the house that you'd like go like have to go grab something from you'd like run in the room turn the light on grab it and then run out of the room and turn the light off on your way out (laughs) you best believe my 31 year old ass still runs past that creepy room and would not go investigate nothing (laughs) but anyway next thing you know you see there's multiple of these like little guys that are following him around and then we get like this all of a sudden it's like right to the left of oj which is a fantastic jump scare mm-hmm. and the funniest part is right when he does that oj just like punches <laughs> and that's when you go ow <laughs> and that's when you find out that it's really just jupe's kids that have dressed up in these uh, outfits and the reason why jupe's kids have done this is because one of the ways that they tried to lure out the flying saucer uh, one of the evenings is that Emerald like leaves uh, their ranch, goes to Jupiter's claim, and grabs one of the plastic horses with those like flags that are dangling off of it. Oh, that's right. Because they're trying to lure the 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 saucer out because they they obviously see that it's abducting the horses. Mm-hmm. So one night, this thing does try to abduct the plastic horse, and uh, yeah, it, it's like it ends up like just dropping it and they're confused as to why this thing has been left yet. Like other horses have like just disappeared, like to never be seen again. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, the, the Jupiter's kids essentially say that it's revenge for them. Like, you know, for, for, for them having their things stolen and uh, yeah. It, so it was just Jupe's kids that were on the property. So it's a fake out, mm-hmm. but it's so well done. You're not even and, mad about the fake out. Right, also, because the movie's going to do something completely different, and you're, I'm actually going to dig where it goes anyway. 
and it's really interesting because I really do like the design of the little of the little masks and the owl like, and also the fact that these masks are based on like actual um, like descriptions that people that have claimed encounters with extraterrestrial life have seen. Like the owl, the owl mm-hmm. features like the little gray men. That's been, I mean, yeah. As long as people have been swear that they've seen aliens, like the that's the most stereotypical description. Um, but I do like that they went the more owl route from uh, the fourth kind. Which do you looks know what? Do you know what else movie. they look like? Because there is something else that's in this movie that is that that those faces look exactly like. What? What else? So in the beginning of the movie, when we're being brought into the Gordy's home set to watch the Gordy incident, mm-hmm. you'll notice that one of the white Panavision cameras has like these two like circular shapes on the top mm-hmm. that are like, you know, wh- where you put the film rolls basically. Oh, yeah. And they have like those things look like the eyes that you end up seeing on the masks and in the uh, stuffed animals. So. Oh. So these these creatures that they're dressed up at are are something that's completely from the mind of Jupe. Mm-hmm. So it's like something he came up with, right? That's wild. So I know, and then that kind of takes us into the next day, right? Where uh, is that the night, the day of Jupe's live show? Uh, kind of, um, yeah, and, and we don't really have to go for it scene by scene, but yes, we eventually uh, we get Angel comes back. He figures out what they're doing and the fact that they're looking for UFOs, and he ends up becoming a participant in this in this pursuit that they have. Because that's when he realizes that there's a certain cloud, right? Like. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, it's like when he checked in on the camera, he saw that there was one certain cloud that hadn't moved from like a daytime mm-hmm. hour to a nighttime hour and been in the same spot. And he's also a he also as you're when he's setting up the cameras, you find out that he's a uh, UFO aficionado himself. <laughs> and it's funny, I never thought the last podcast on the left would like prepare me for a movie. <laughs> <laughs> but like Henry Zabrowski talking about Yufon really made me like prepared <laughs> for this movie. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh wow, fascinating <laughs> the entire time. Well, the other thing too is just like the amount of information on what governments have looked at for UFOs, like are now like in regular circulation and we can find them because for some reason during the COVID pandemic, like among the things that were passed were like, was our government having to disclose a lot of their UFO (laughs) findings? Pretty much. It's wild that they waited in between a pandemic to just be like, oh, I know you guys are dealing with something that is like, you know, affecting the entire world. Uh, Alien, there's aliens and we've, we've seen them on camera. (laughs) Here you go. Um, But anyway, uh, yes, as you said, there's also the scene that you'll you'll see coming up, which is we get a second longer flashback to the Gordy's incident, and then we we see Jupe is just sitting there. Uh, Jupe's wife comes in and asks him if he's ready to go, and that's when you see the first, maybe the first time ever, 
that we're going to see Jupe's show, like that Jupe is doing a show. Like mm-hmm. it seemed like what was happening the night before when all the floodlights were on in the middle of the night was that it was more of a rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And what you find out is that the reason why Jupe has been buying horses from OJ and why he was so uncomfortable at the at OJ's insistence on trying to buy them back is because Jupe has actually been feeding horses to this uh, monster uh to the spaceship it to be able to get it to show up like on his ranch and turn it into a spectacle and this is insane because it's like he's because he survived gordy's uh attack uh when he was a kid it's created this delusion where he feels that he uh, is in control of these of 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 predatorial creatures now, mm-hmm. and this is the first time where us as an audience realize that's not a spaceship, that's a creature, and that the they've been abducting the 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 horses and they've been eating them, and uh, it all starts kind of making sense where the creature um, can't process inor- uh, inorganic material. So it just p- essentially pukes it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that's something that that's uh, it's crazy how these little breadcrumbs are all building to this giant revealed on the day of this show. Um and this is where we realize that the creature tends to attack anything that looks like directly at it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I and OJ um, tries to like sneak in, try to save his horse uh, because they're trying to sacrifice Jean Jacket. Essentially, I use the term sacrifice, but they're trying to feed Jean Jacket to uh, to this creature. Um, and because the horse does draw it out, um, not it's Jean not... Jacket. I thought it was I think Jean it's Jacket. It's Ghost. No, Jean Jacket is. So later in the movie, there's a scene where uh, OJ and M are talking, and there was one horse that was promised to be given to M. Mm-hmm. And the horse that was promised to be given to her for her to tame was called Jean Jacket. Oh. But they mentioned that the that the horse ended up actually being like sold off to the set of the Scorpion King. You're right. Um, you're right. You're right. Jean Jackie so was the horse. Yeah. Right. So it's a it was, horse that was supposed to be M's that never was. I forget. And yeah. um, to and that's capture the- this thing and essentially tame it, uh, OJ affectionately starts calling uh, this uh, flying saucer Jean Jacket. Yeah. So. Um, well, he still goes to try to save the, I know he tries to go uh, and save this horse, uh, because now at this point, Jean Jacket's kind of turned on the crowd and, um, and absorbs uh, everyone. And yeah, just starts absorbing everyone. Literally one of the most shocking scenes in this movie is watching Jupe, his entire family, and all the people in the audience, including someone who was a cast member on Gordy's home, who we had seen in the trailer, which is the woman who like 
looked like a little bit got grotesque. her face ripped off yeah right and we find out that the reason why is because she was an actress from gordy's home who survived but was permanently disfigured uh from that event and she along with everyone else who's sitting in that little amphitheater um is we're watching them get devoured by this uh ship in like it, 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 it like at first it's like oh this kind of reminds me of that steven spielberg war of the worlds where you like would see all the people like in baskets in these like ships but no what you're actually seeing is like these people are getting squished and just dying right before your eyes <laughs> in they these get tubes they get digested almost immediately and so it looks like a very pain it looks very painless at first when people get mm-hmm. get absorbed and then you hear the screaming and then they do the shot where the camera goes through part of the of the intestines like this monster's intestine mm-hmm. like intestinal tract and you see it just start mashing people and although it doesn't go it doesn't it doesn't get caught up in the blood and the gore like it, but it does leave enough up to your imagination to be like man that's fun yeah <laughs> uh at that point uh oj is able to escape with the horse uh and he's able to ride back um to the haywood uh to the haywood ranch um and like you said that's where oj gives the uh name jean jacket to the uh alien right and they to to be able to get the shot of this thing they actually end up further enlisting the help of uh, a guy named antlers who was a cinematographer on the commercial that they were working on early in the beginning of the film mm-hmm. and um they mentioned that they can't really pay him and he kind of blows them off the first time but uh, once they kind of tell him that they're able to like that he'd be able to get a shot like you know the impossible shot the incredible shot that's mm-hmm. where he shows up and he's very much like i think the the quint character in uh in jaws oh uh, yeah i i can see that he's like even though he's not a professional in the sense of like hunting aliens he's professional at taking the amazing those those one-of-a-kind shots and that's exactly what we're hunting here is that one and he loves filming predators which is what you like realize when you're in the scenes where they're calling him he's like cutting together film of like animals attacking and stuff like Mm -hmm. that um so that is going on and at the same time you know, that's where uh, OJ posits the idea that this isn't exactly like it, the, the alien. Look, these there aren't aliens inside of that spaceship. The spaceship is the predator. Mm-hmm. And that's where it, it completely changes the way you think of everything because you're like, wow, he's right. This thing is the monster. It is the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. It is the shark from Jaws. Uh, we are running from one, uh, you know, organic you know monster that is sitting there uh you know that is now like put them in its crosshairs and And suddenly uh, all of those the flashbacks make sense because it's about a predator you know protecting its hunting ground mm -hmm. and not um not necessarily coexisting with it but not challenging it in a way to deal with it without challenging it. 
Um, and for the first time, the UFO takes like an active, like active action of aggression towards the Haywoods mm-hmm. um, that very same night when it starts it flying around. Yeah, it starts it, flying it, around and it pukes blood all over <laughs> and drops like everything that it had, like, you know, that it had eaten not long before. And it starts hunt. It starts looking for OJ. It starts purposefully attacking anything that's moving. Um, even though you're left to think this is just a creature, you can't help but think, man, maybe it is a little pissed at OJ in specific. Mm-hmm. It's clearly it feels like something that's gotten angrier. And uh, again, this is where we get to a lot of the action scenes in this. Uh, and uh, where, okay, so Antlers had the, the idea to uh, cre- set up these IMAX cameras that don't need electricity, and instead you just crank them like the way you would crank like older cameras. Mm-hmm. So he and Angel are essentially like setting up as the cinematographer is trying to capture this, and uh, you know OJ and M are supposed to be luring this thing out. So um, we get this really big, elaborate, like, you know, ending scene where they're drawing it out. OJ's on the horse wearing the Scorpion King hoodie (laughs) and like running through the ranch. (laughs) And we get that awesome shot at the, you know, during the end of this movie where uh, of that giant saucer just flying behind him. Mm -hmm. Um, This is where we also get that bizarre like TMZ guy, like you know part where he shows up on the electric motorcycle you never see his face he's just wearing a reflective helmet and it's like it it just to me this guy could not be in this movie and it would be the exact same movie to me this i feel like he's the one character that this movie could have it could have gone without this is where i get when people say this movie's ham-fisted a bit Mm -hmm. when um when they set up the when they set up kind of the wacky arm flailing inflatable tube men kind of as markers to know where like the end of the emp field is Mm -hmm. and the guy starts riding through their property after even after oj tells him not to and m's just like let him like fuck him like if he's gonna do it watch something terrible happen to him a very smart and great device for them to use, by the way, because they know this thing doesn't like inorganic material. And uh, because th- these like, you know, waving, wacky, inflatable arm flailing tube men are falling down every time the jean jacket is around. That's like a good way for our characters without having to look at it, understand that it's in their range of vision and it's and, moving uh, and what can, it can be prepared do. to start shooting it. And you know, like I like the so the TMZ reporter is like riding towards Jean Jacket and suddenly gets and enters the field. And I think OJ says it, he goes, Look at what happens when you go like 60 to zero instantly. Mm-hmm. And like the guy goes ass over fucking tea kettle and yeah. just, like snaps both his legs and gets fucked up in this car. And it's pretty gnarly. And when uh, OJ goes and checks up on him, this guy starts saying, don't you want to record the shot? Don't you want to take the shot? Like referring to like recording this guy's injuries. And it's like, I get it. That's the point. It's like we get the, the idea is like being be, you become so obsessive with capturing a moment on film that you even put yourself in danger. So I can understand why people are like, oh, that's a little ham fisted. Like, I agree with you. This guy didn't really need to be here. 
Um, but Jesus Christ, does he pay his sin for his sin very dearly? <laughs> because he ends up opening his uh reflective helmet, staring at Jean Jacket. Uh, meanwhile, OJ's trying to avoid looking at his helmet so that he can escape. Uh, and the dude ends up getting devoured uh, mm-hmm. by Jean Jacket. Meanwhile, you see you have the uh, awesome shot of um, OJ back on the horse and just riding and riding. And it's like, it's a nice parallel to what his grandfather did, right? Or his great great grandfather. Um, how he was like the first person to be captured on film, whether whether true or not. Um, you know, now he now um it, it comes full circle where it's like now in order to save his ranch, um OJ has to do the same thing. Not only save his ranch, but also survive. Like he has to do the same thing. Um and really kind of and finally comes into his own for that. And it's like as he rides and you know there's a part where he 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 manages to escape him and the horse managed to escape last minute. Mm-hmm. Um at, and that's when Antlers gets the shot. And then and then he does the kind of like guy who goes insane thing of like, well, no one deserves the shot. Only I can get the shot. And he like goes out in the middle of the field and starts just looking straight at it while he's shooting it. And uh, Jean Jacket ultimately eats him as well. Now, this is the part of the movie where I was nervous because I thought they were going to kill my boy Angel. And uh, thankfully, he was brilliant enough that he throws like one of those like tarp tarps around him and at the same time like covers himself in barbed wire so so jean jacket Mm -hmm. will not devour him and uh thankfully you know in this movie he is one of the surviving characters god bless (laughs) blessings (laughs) on blessings (laughs) now now this is where it gets really interesting because this is where i start seeing even some hp lovecraft horror elements playing the fact that um the fact that uh what's his name that antlers kind of starts going insane when he stares at jean jacket for too long um the fact that people don't don't really comprehend this monster that they're dealing with and at this i think is it at this point where he where the creature metamorphosizes yeah yeah because i know this is the so this is the part where uh um kind of releases out into the stratosphere <laughs> in like the this giant blow up uh doll or this giant blow up like uh mascot balloon from uh i think it was from jupe's uh ranch yeah, right the giant jupe balloon but even before that i think when when uh when Jean Jacket is kind of like showing its form to OJ, it is when it kind of starts metamorphosizing and it actually takes the shape of a cloud very briefly. And then all of a sudden it starts looking like this giant angel ribbon monster that is floating in the air. It looks like equal parts Cthulhu monster. It looks like Old Testament angels where it's like, where they where it's just a bunch of eyeballs in a ring wrapped around a ring of fire and says be not afraid or some bullshit yeah <laughs> and it just looks like it looks cool like it starts growing in size 
um the center square which i'm assuming is jean jacket's eye starts like changing colors as it becomes more angry and uh, aggressive and larger yeah, uh, that hole that is literally just its eye, mouth, and asshole at the same time. All in one. <laughs> <laughs> the it's orifice. Just, it's just puckering its mouth ass super hard. <laughs> and then it's like, and it makes sense because they release this balloon and it, and same thing. You got, you have, um, you have, uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking. OJ, sorry. You have OJ kind of finally challenging this creature after everything it's cost him. Um, and at this point, M makes a mad dash for the motorcycle, and it's like the, the monster is between uh, M and it's between OJ. Yeah, they're both directly challenging it. And uh, so it's like it, it's like going back and forth between chasing OJ and chasing M. And it's so, and this is where my buddy was like, I didn't know this movie was a western, and I'm like, yeah, it mm-hmm. gives you total western vibes that this is like a standoff between two gunslingers. Yeah, and eventually OJ finally he gets the he gets the monster to to like scoff, and it comes after him. Um, and at that point, M's able to get to the motorcycle that the other dude ditched, uh, that the TMZ uh reporter did she gets on it and she just starts hightailing it as fast as she can to jupe's ranch and at that point the you're we don't know what happens to oj but the monster then shifts focus and starts chasing after M. right um, and then everything pretty much shifts at this point at this point it's less about them trying to get a shot of this thing and more about M and uh and uh oj just trying to survive mm-hmm. at this point yeah, because at this at, at this point, they don't know if Angel's dead. Antlers has gone, you know, he's already been eaten. So there's no way if they even know they can capture it. Um, so at this point, it's just for survival. So M manages to get to... Um, this is where, where M manages to get to Jupiter's, uh, Jupiter's landing. She manages to hit the ropes uh, that are containing the big... Um, the big jupe balloon, <laughs> and so she she. It, there's a joke in there between loof balloon and jupe balloon, but I'm not gonna take it. Yeah, I just I I'm just gonna keep calling it the jupe balloon. So she manages to like send that off so that the monster can try to attack that, thinking that uh it's also like an alpha predator. Meanwhile, she does this awesome Akira slide on the motorcycle. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as in a callback to what you were talking about earlier, she, st- she gets the idea of using the um, of using the well camera to try to capture a picture. Right, because the well camera is far enough away that it won't be caught in the EMP field that it like creates around it. And also, like, because this thing has been dumping inorganic materials, including coins everywhere, and coin being one of the things that killed their father, um, she's able to find the coins that she needs to put in the well machine uh, to capture at the exact moment when this thing devours the jupe balloon and the jupe balloon blows it up. <laughs> just suddenly it unable to just unable to process the, the the material just punctures it and of course when air has nowhere to go it just 
<laughs> just goes <laughs> everywhere, destroying the destroying the the monster. Mm-hmm. And we see that uh, em- Emerald finally gets the the Oprah shot, quote unquote, ah! that they were looking for the entire time. Sorry, I like I had a very manly moment there. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like as EMS services, as uh, cops finally start showing up, as first and news crews, news crews, um, as the dust begins to settle, you can see uh, OJ in the distance riding uh, towards his sister. Right. Okay. So this brings me to something that I've heard like many podcasts and reviews talk about it, Mm -hmm. where they think that OJ is dead. And that mm. this is her seeing OJ in the afterlife. Oh. Do you buy that? No, I don't think so. Neither do I. <laughs> the only reason I don't buy that is because I also feel that the moment she turns on the electricity, like the bike, the, the bike that probably could have called Jean Jacket over. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see that. I can see that being open, like open to interpretation, and that probably could be a thing um, where people want to know from Jordan Peele. So, did OJ die or not? And it's like, right. nah, fuck that. And I know you <laughs> bitch about it all the time, but we're about to talk about Batman for half a second, motherfucker. <laughs> this reminds me of the debates that people have had long, long ago about uh, Chris Nolan's Dark Knight Rises, the end of the movie, and is Bruce Wayne really dead, and is Alfred seeing, or is Alfred seeing a ghost of him at this cafe in Italy? And let me tell you now that I don't like when movies do that, so anytime mm-hmm. the movie gives me an ambiguous ending like that to where maybe someone could be dead or alive, I will always take what I'm seeing on screen to be truth. And mm-hmm. I always want it to be that way because, A, if, if you go back to something like Dark Knight Rises and you see the end of it, it drives me nuts because there's never been ghosts in any of Chris Nolan's Batman movies. So it doesn't make any sense for there to be a ghost in that movie at that time unless Alfred, like, doused himself with, like, reverse scarecrow gas that, like, shows him futures he'd like to see. <laughs> could be. I mean, that could, it could be an option that he just had dementia and that's but, what things happened. But it's just, it, it's the one, it's like, no, 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 there's nothing this objectively supernatural in this. So let's not do it. And to me, it just doesn't make sense. I, I don't want to believe that it's her seeing OJ after he's died or in the afterlife. To me, it is OJ who is there. He's the hero. He, they have both saved each other. Mm-hmm. And the two of them, along with their buddy Angel, who's my favorite <laughs> character in this movie, will continue to be friends for the rest of life. And now the three of them go hunting <laughs> aliens all over the world. <laughs> And they're BFFs, and life is great. The The end. end. (laughs) You know what, though? I mean, that's the thing. It's whether you want to choose to believe that OJ died or not. Like at this point, yeah, it doesn't take away from the from the film. Like in my in my Mm. opinion, Um, I think I think it was just like I'd like to think he he survived. Like, there's nothing... Like, he outran Jean Jacket before, so it makes sense that if he could have done it again. Um, That's what I think. Also, I mean, it's... 
regardless, like <laughs> it's so the, the, the last third of this movie is so well done that you kind of also want to believe that he did it, that he was able to pull it off, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think let's let's get into the part of the movie the podcast everyone loves. Angel, did you like nope? I love nope. And I thought it was great. And like I said, I really do think that having enough time to sit with it, I think it might be my favorite one of Jordan Peele's movies. It's so funny how a movie with few characters and that takes place in just limited locations somehow feels bigger and larger in scope than even something like Us did. But Mm -hmm. I feel like whereas there's still lots of stuff I love about Us, and I'm still glad that I saw that movie, and I still think that's a pretty good movie, I think that I don't know if uh, Jordan Peele got stuck the landing on that movie. There's still lots of stuff in there that's that 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 could be improved, and it's just it's a movie that almost gets there, but not quite, you know. And get, obviously, Get Out is like his one masterpiece that everything that comes next is going to be compared to forever. Mm-hmm. But I do think that this is awesome to see him evolve to this kind of like large spectacle filmmaking. Um, I want to see what he does next, even if it's not horror and it's more of this sci-fi kind of deal. But it's just, yeah, the big old IMAX cameras, seeing how large in scope everything looked. Um, just th- this story, just being so different from the last two things that he's done, where it's like I had, I, I did not really think of Get Out or or Us like much mm-hmm. while watching this. Like it not is so all. its own thing. And yet at the same time, I think the Jordan Peele of it all is kind of the fact that, yeah, we're featuring non-white actors in key roles. And that's a thing that, that, that all of his movies, I can, I hope continue doing because yes, you know, again, as we talk, as I talked about the fact that we have a character in this movie that I relate to more than I've related to any character (laughs) in any other movie that I've ever done. It's, it's yes. Putting someone that represents other people besides, you know, bland white characters is one of those things that's always going to make me care. And in something like this is going to give me an experience like no other because I relate so much to one of the characters in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's my favorite Jordan Peele movie. I think it's really great. I think it was worth watching. When it comes out on video, I'm going to buy it. And um, I can't wait to see it again. This is, yeah, I mean, all the fair points. I really enjoyed this movie. I, mm-hmm. I thought the, I thought the pacing, I, I mean, I've told you. I mean, yeah, pacing was good. I felt like every, there, there was no waste of time in this movie. It, it's like, what, I think it has like a two hour runtime. Let me double check um uh 210 that was about two hours and 10 minutes it feels mm-hmm. like none of it's wasted it feels like it's really well timed it feels like it's perfect the perfect amount of time to let kind of the story breathe and develop um and i've talked about it in other movies before and i think i talked about it a lot in black phone where how every little breadcrumb that got laid out for finn in that movie ultimately paid off in the end Mm -hmm. jordan peele does that really well (laughs) and everything that was given to us no matter how outlandish or weird it seemed at first pays off by the end of this film 
and it's so just it's so well done so like the the some of the the cinematography is beautiful like kiki palmer gives a fantastic performance as emerald she did a great job like she's uh she is a standout in this film um, and daniel kaluuya for like even though he's kind of stoic and quiet like i think he he does a fantastic job in this movie as well i mean that goes without you, saying you, you they... completely get everything that oj's about and much as what he does in Get Out, he's so good at acting with his eyes, mm-hmm. where like what he says, like with his face and not with words. No, he's very just as loud and yeah. yeah, it's just as loud and very and just as communicative as what he would say with words anyway. And so he did a great job. Like it was another great performance by him. This is like the first time I got to see like Kiki Palmer outside of like crap. What was that other movie? Was she in Hustlers? Was it Hustlers? I think that was the only other movie. I've seen like, her in a ton of stuff, but this is but I, I I this is like my first time kind of seeing her like on the big screen in a big role like this. Yeah, and it's like she nailed it, knocked it out of the park. And, and I hope she gets more work after this. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, the like more power to Jordan Beale. I love that all the stuff ties in together i love bringing in steven yoon we should give him his flowers too like he hasn't done uh you know like he's mostly a tv actor obviously like his most famous stuff is uh walking dead uh, but he again he is featured so prominently and so well in this as well that i would love to see him in more big screen films yeah sorry about that he did a fantastic job um he like just top to bottom this film's really cool like really well made excellent casting i love the monster i love the the way the monster Mm -hmm. looked and i love that it is a combination of old testament angels cthulhu monsters i was reading that he got a that jordan peele was partly inspired by an anime called neon genesis evangelion which I think I've talked about. I'm, we did Shin Godzilla, right? I don't remember. No, we have not. We need to do Shin Godzilla on this podcast, by the way. So the guy that directed that email, or that the one that directed Shin Godzilla, he also directed that anime, or he was like the creator of that anime. So I can see a lot of like influences from there. <laughs> this monster, like, it was an original. It was such an original like way to kind of play out on the extraterrestrial story. That I just can't wait for this movie to come back out. And yeah, I might buy it. If not, right. at the very least, I'll get it on digital copy. I don't know about hard copies anymore. Yeah. All right. So we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. We appreciate you guys continuing to follow us on social media. Please uh, interact with us on social media on our Instagram page. Um, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if that's where you listen to the show. Uh, leave a rating for the show on Spotify if you listen to the show on Spotify to help uh, up our circulation and uh, kind of get the podcast out there even more. And uh, yeah, we continue we continue to appreciate you guys uh, for hanging in there with us as we go through all of these like crazy scheduling conflicts and stuff because this has not been an easy year to do this podcast. But we are definitely more as committed and interested in continuing the show at this time as we ever have been. So it's great to, you know, continue to do this show. And we hope that you guys continue to, you know, download the show, uh, interact with us and, and hopefully help us get the word out there to make the show even bigger. So, um, again, we thank you guys for joining us for this episode and all of our other episodes. 
Um, and please look into our archives to, uh, for other shows that we've done in the past for when we do have these weeks where you know we have not released a new episode. We actually have a pretty extensive back catalog. So please go back and listen to it if you're someone who's new to the show or, or mostly catching up with us on some of our newer entries here. So again, um, we'll, we appreciate you guys continuing to follow us and we can't wait to talk to you guys next time. Later, y'all.